Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning. It's so good to have all of you here this morning. And it's not every morning you get a chance to uh, introduce uh, a very close friend that will be speaking here this morning with us. His name is Corwin Anthony. He was with us a couple times before, uh, most recently in February, and he was here to do a first here at Grace Crossing Church. He actually showed up on a Saturday so that we could pre-record for a Sunday when we're expecting a major snowstorm. And uh, I don't know if it's unfortunately or not, but it was more of a major snow and rainstorm. We didn't get as much snow as we had expected, but he had to shuffle and, and everything. I remember calling him and and he was so willing to come in on a, on a Saturday, even though he need, still needed to prep a bit and stuff like that. But I just really appreciated his flexibility, Zach and the crew, and all that they did um, on that Saturday back then. But what can I tell you about this man right here, Corwin Anthony? Uh, he's a close friend. He's passionate uh, for his family. His wife, Kim, is here. He's got two sons, Caleb and Kari. Um, and he loves his family. He also loves Jesus and loves the gospel. Uh, him and I served on the senior leadership team at Athletes in Action for a number of years. He's, he's, he's still there. He's in a bit of a transition with his role. It's still to be determined, I think. But he has served as director in the NFL, so God's opened doors for him and his wife to share the gospel with players, coaches, owners in the NFL. And most recently, the Lord's opening doors into HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and he's super Super excited about what God is doing there so he can bring the gospel there. He's also very passionate about golf. He's an avid golfer. It's not a day when there's nice weather. Corwin can be seen on the greens. In fact, we talked a little bit about the Masters. Tony Finau is one of his favorites. So Tony didn't win the Masters, but but Corwin is super excited, uh, maybe that he would. But one thing that happened this year that has not happened in his entire career golfing, he got his first hole in one. Let's give that a hand. He's got a picture. He's got everything to prove it. So super exciting for him. At any rate, please stand. I'd like to pray for him. And then let's give him a GCC welcome in a little bit here. But let's pray together. Father, we've been so thankful here at Grace Crossing Church for the many speakers that you've been bringing uh, during this time where we've really needed it. And Lord Corwin is one that, that has a heart for Grace Crossing, has a heart for Gil and Kelly and their situation. And I, I just, I love this man and I just thank you so much for him, Lord. And I pray this morning, just as we sang, that, that your Holy Spirit would move and your presence would be felt as he speaks and shares from his word, Lord God. Soften our hearts to what he is prepared to share by the Holy Spirit to us, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing. Let's give a round welcome of applause to Corwin Anthony. Thanks, bro. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Best introduction ever. You know, if I had known you were going to talk about golf, I would have brought pictures. I mean, I got about 10 pictures from the tee box back up, the, up, up in the crowd that was watching from the cliffside. And, you know, 
Anyway, it's great to be here with y'all again this morning. I'm, I'm honored uh, to be sharing with you, and uh, I have uh, just grown, grown in my love for this church and my appreciate, appreciation for Gil and Kelly and all that you guys are going through. So however I can come and share, we can come and share and be involved with you guys. It definitely is our pleasure. It's great to see you all here. Yeah, last time I was here, there was an empty room and, and, and a couple of cameras, and yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> but uh, it's great to see some faces here, at least half of faces anyway. So, you know, I'm going to share with you this morning about stewarding the gospel. As life shared, uh, I've been on staff with Athletes in Action for now for about 20 years, actually just past 20 years. Well, Athletes in Action is the sports division of Crew. Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, when I first got involved with AIA, Athletes in Action, back in the 80s, while we were as students, my wife and I were student athletes at UCLA, uh, it was made very clear to me that Crew's mission rested squarely on fulfilling the Great Commission. And that doing that as efficiently and effectively and urgently as possible was what this ministry was all about. So, what is the Great Commission? Well, after the resurrection, Jesus came back, right? And he spoke to some of his followers, and he gave him kind of the final marching orders, so to speak, right? And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples to go into all the nations and make disciples all around the world. So, in light of these words from Jesus... An, old, an untold number of students for the last 50, 60 years involved with crew have, have received this great commission to go and fulfill the great commission. And these students have been, have been handed the baton from these disciples and they have been charged to go out and lead in this effort. The founder of this ministry, the late Dr. Bill Bright, he never met a strategy that he didn't like for fulfilling the Great Commission. As long as that strategy was centered on Christ, was biblically sound, and that you were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as you went to execute this strategy. Why? Because to him and to us as believers, fulfilling the Great Commission is the most important, the greatest endeavor that you and I can take up on this side of heaven. So this morning, I want to talk with you about stewarding the gospel for you and I have been handed this baton, as I shared, from these disciples to carry this gospel message into this generation and to the future generations as well. So for some of you, this message will be enlightening and hopefully helpful. For others, this message will be affirming or maybe it will serve as a gentle reminder or a nudge to get back to doing what you already know to do. Still, for others, you might be struggling a little bit with this message. Uh, it might be a little unsettling as you grapple with our responsibility, your responsibility to take the gospel to your neighbor, to your friend, to your family member, to your enemy. When I first surrendered my life to Christ in college, one of the scariest next steps that I knew was eventually going to come was sharing my faith. I mean, I could think of a, 
about 9,999 things I would rather do than share my faith. But after being involved with Athletes in Action for about a year, uh, the following summer, I was encouraged to attend the AIA Ultimate Training Camp. And at this camp, early upon my arrival, I learned that a strong emphasis of this week-long camp was going to be all about evangelism, teaching us athletes how to share our faith. And I, and I learned that they were going to do that by using a little booklet, a little Bible track called the Four Spiritual Laws. I also learned that at the end of this week, we were all going to hit the town of Fort Collins, Colorado, and go randomly sharing our faith with strangers across the city. Needless to say, it was one of the few times I was not looking forward to a weekend. So Saturday came way too quick for me, y'all, and I found myself paired with one of the AIA staff members who was working this camp. And thankfully, you know, he discerned my concern about sharing my faith, and he said, Corwin, don't worry about it. What we'll do is we'll go maybe play basketball with these guys, and afterwards, We'll, we'll, we'll talk with them. You can just silently pray and watch as I show you and model for you how to share your faith. So I'm like, okay, we can do that. So I remember we, we, we find this game. We go play basketball, you know, and the whole, the whole time I'm like, can we go in the extra quarters? You know, I don't want this game to end. And finally the game ends and Jake and I walk up to these two guys that we just got through playing basketball with. And he says, hi, my name is Jake. This is my friend Corwin. And we've been here all week at this camp uh, learning about the most important things in life. Now, I can, I can tell you this. I had such, I mean, the, ner- the nervousness I had as we approached these guys, even though I wasn't saying anything, I was still nervous. I mean, my stomach was all knotted up. My mouth was dry, you know, and my knees were weak as we approached these guys. I mean, the only thing I had going for me is that you could not tell that the sweat pouring from my body was nervous sweat and not game basketball game sweat, okay? That's all I had going for me. So Jake says, here, you know, here we are. Can we talk with you? The guy says, sure. Then Jake looks at me and says, and Corwin's going to tell you all about it. Shoved the booklet in my hand and he walked away, y'all. Now, I don't know what my demeanor looked like on the outside, but on the inside, I went, No, you didn't. No, he didn't. Please, no, don't go. Please, don't go. I was terrified. My introduction to evangelism. Little did I know that I would be using that same little gospel track to share Christ with tens of thousands of people over the next 30 years of my life. Little did I know that it would be in multiple countries on satellite television stations, from the prisons in West Africa to the Ritz-Carlton's in America. Little did I know that my college girlfriend would respond to this same gospel message just a few months later as I nervously shared with her and that this gospel message was exactly what she had been looking for all her life. And little did I know 
that her response to the gospel message would be the foundation that has kept us married for the last 29 years. My prayer, so my prayer this morning is that as we listen, and I'm listening to, to this message, that the Holy Spirit might speak to us in maybe specific or very special ways when it comes to our stewardship of the gospel. For being a part of, God's build, of building God's kingdom, you all know this, it's not something that you and I are to leave to the experts, right? Pastors, evangelists, or just sold out on fire uh, Christians, right? The job is also for the average believer, the shy ones, the quiet ones, the introverts as well as the extroverts. I wish I could go back to my high school years because it's also for the young and the old. I wish I could go back to my high school friends and share with them what I knew but I was afraid to tell back then. I mean, have you ever lost something? I mean, have you ever lost something very, very valuable to you or something that you desperately needed and you searched and you searched and you searched for hours, maybe even days looking for this item or this object? And, and can you remember when you finally found it? When your eyes rested on it, you're like, oh, there it is. You may have grabbed it. You may have embraced it, hugged it close. Oh, thank you, finally. Whew. Why is it always in the last place you look that you find those things? But you grabbed it and you embraced it because it was so precious or meaningful to you. Before I joined Athletes in Action, I worked for a ministry called Promise Keepers, a sports, um, a men's ministry that was... Uh, filling stadiums all around the country. And one of my jobs during conference time was to work the resource tent, big giant tent outside of the arena or the stadium where we had all the different ministries and all the different bookstores and, 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 and material uh, apparel stores. And I also served as the lost and found guy <laughs> during that event. So one event in Philadelphia, I believe, um, the, the, uh, the arena the event ended, it was a big arena, and all these men, thousands of men, are now streaming out the doors at the same time of this arena. And I see from a distance this guy frantically coming towards me, and his eyes are fixed on me. And I'm like, what's going on here? And he, as he gets closer, he looks at me, and he is panicked. He says, I've lost my son. I don't know what to do. I need help. I can't find my son. So I jump on the radio and I call our, our security team and uh, we get the description out and, and I can listen to the, and I'm listening to the guys talking back and forth on the radio. They're saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll mobilize our volunteers with the radios to go look for this young kid. And then the head security guy says, tell the father to stay there with you so that when we find him, we don't have to go looking for him again, right? So I tell the dad, hey, just stay right here. Our security team is on it, right? So I sit down and I'm watching this dad and he is pacing. He is pacing back and forth. And I'm looking at him I'm like, okay, here it comes, <laughs> right? He looks at me and he says, I can't stay here. I got to go. I got to go look for my son. I said, bro, go. 
I'll, when he comes here, I'll keep your son here. You're right. And he takes off going. A few minutes goes by. It's probably 15, 20, 30 minutes going by. And I'm hearing the chatter on the radio. And finally I hear, we found the kid. And all the guys are celebrating on their walkie-talkies, you know. And I hear the head guy say, great, take him to the tent. His son is, his dad is waiting for him there. I'm like, no, he ain't. (laughs) No, he ain't. So I finally see the kid come with the security guards around him. And I say, the dad is out looking. So we keep the son there. And now they're looking for the dad. They find the dad just a few minutes later. And I see the dad from a distance walking towards us. And he's got a couple of security guards around right next to him. And you can see the relief in his face, right? And he gets right inside the tent, probably from me to this front row here. And before he gets to his son, he looks at the security guard and he grabs his shoulders and begins to uncontrollably weep. And he wept. And he wept and he wept in the arms of this man because they helped find his son. I can imagine what that little boy was thinking as he saw the heart of his father who lost him and wanted him back. Those security guards, by the way, they weren't experts (laughs) at finding lost people. They were just a bunch of volunteer guys from the community who loved to carry walkie-talkies and wanted to feel official, (laughs) right? But they were valuable. They were crucial. They were needed to help find the son to reunite him with his father. Y'all, we are that walkie-talkie brigade right? That's pretty clear. Because people are searching and they don't even know that Christ is for whom they are ultimately looking. It's not money. It's not power. It's not stability. It's not security. It's not control. It's not pleasure. It's not toys. It's not fame. But they're looking in all these wrong places. And they don't realize that their search for meaning and purpose in life will absolutely end when they find Christ. And you and I have what they're looking for. We know the truth that sets the captives free. Now, even though I know these things to be true and I've been in ministry for decades and I, I know that it's still sharing my face, sharing, witnessing, it's still not the easiest thing for me to do. I mean, think about it. We've been given the charge to share the most important message a person could ever hear. And yet this message is also one of the most controversial ones that has existed since the time of John the Baptist. I mean, the gospel, this good news, this good news has liberated millions upon millions over the centuries. It's brought hope and peace and joy and meaning to the brokenhearted and the destitute. It has provided purpose. It has provided meaning to wandering lives and lost souls. Yet in today's culture, this good news, more and more people are taking offense to it, right? 
Fewer and fewer people in our own country seem to even have an appreciation for this good news. Close friends and family members are at odds because of this good news. Unfortunately, false prophets and greedy ministers are peddling this good news and you and I don't want to be associated with those wolves in sheep's clothing. And as a result, I'm sorry, as if this wasn't enough, we're supposed to share this good news when we ourselves are beset with our own weaknesses and failures. And and we sometimes feel so unqualified. As a result of all these things, we often find ourselves stuck somewhere between responsibility and crippling fear. Kind of stuck in that place. That's a sad place to be. But what is the good news? The majority of the people in this room, we all can quote John 3.16 backwards and blindfolded. The danger, however, in becoming so familiar with, familiar with the scripture is that we can become desensitized to the fullness of the message and the simplicity of its meaning. So I'd like you to say it with me as if for the first time, the scripture, John three sixteen. I want you to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's say it again. For God so loved the world. Stop right there. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God loves everybody? Even the ones that you don't? The first thing that you and I have got to do when it comes to stewarding the gospel is to grab grab a hold of God's heart for people. Really think about this. Integrate it into your own soul. God loves everybody. One morning when I was in college, uh, my discipler gave me a a, um, devotional called a 31-day experience. And this devotional was on faith. So I spent 31 days learning how to grow my faith, understanding faith, and one of the exercises on this particular day was to pray and ask God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. So I did that, you know, and went about my day. Go to school, I go to classes, spend the whole day on campus, working out, practice whatever it is. Then it's time for me to go home. I get in my car and I'm driving home. I'm in Westwood, right? So I'm driving through Westwood, getting ready to hit the freeway. And all of a sudden, at a stoplight, this girl, young lady, probably in their upper teens or 20s, she, she approaches my car from the passenger side. I'm at the red light. Stop. I look over. She approaches my car and says, I need a ride. Can you take me over to so-and-so-and-so-and place? Before I could even respond, she had opened the door and got in the car and sat in the passenger seat next to me. So I'm like, you know, then the light turns green. 
right? So I'm in a dilemma. I'm thinking, okay, is this it? Is this how I'm going to go out, right? She's got a gun, a knife, or something, right? So she gets in the car, and the light turns green, and we start driving. So I'm looking at the road with one eye, and one eye I'm looking at her to make sure she's not, you know, not going to harm me in any way. And she just starts talking. Now, she's, she had on these kind of these raggedy short pants and a T-shirt, and, and she, she had a, um, her lip, top lip was swollen. She had a tooth that had been broken, you could tell. She was not in the grace, she was disheveled, right? So I was a little nervous. And I started driving. It turns out that where she wanted to be dropped off was kind of in the direction I was already going. So I'm like, okay, I'll take you to this gas station that I know nearby that intersection. So we're driving. All of a sudden, then all of a sudden it hits me. Um, Corwin, didn't you ask God to pray for an opportunity? Didn't you pray to ask God for an opportunity to share your faith? Maybe this is it, Corwin. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I reach in my pocket. I pull out the little gospel tract. And as I'm talking, she, be, she kept interrupting me. I'm trying to read through the four spiritual laws with her while I'm driving through L.A., and she's interrupting me. And she's telling me these crazy stories. You know, law number one, God loves you. Well, you know what? I, was, I used to go to church, but, you know, I, I, was, in a, you know, my, my, I was involved with the, with the bishop, and he raped me, and he just, she just, all these crazy stories. And I'm like, okay, principle number two, and I keep going to, Finally, I told her, look, let me, um, let me, let me keep going, and, and you just kind of listen. And that was after she said, <laughs> and she said something like, oh, yeah, my, 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 mom, my mom's a witch, and, y'all, I put that book in my pocket, and I hit that gas. <laughs> and God said, Corwin, keep going. Pulled it back out. Then I said, just let me finish then you can speak. So I keep going and she gets quiet and she gets quiet and all of a sudden at the very end of the booklet, it comes to the part where you ask the person, do you want to give your life to Christ? She said, yeah. And I prayed in the car as I'm driving and she repeated behind me and prayed. And as soon as we got done, we arrived at our destination. And I parked in the gas station. I said, we're here and Without saying a word, she was completely quiet. Without saying a word, she leaned over towards me. And I'm like, what's going on here? Real quietly and gave me a small kiss on my cheek. Without saying a word, that she got out of the car and walked away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that the best news that we could ever share with anyone? All you have to do is believe in Christ, believe in your heart and receive him into your life, and you get to avoid eternal damnation. All your sins, forgiven. Your eternal destiny, secured. Hope for your life now, today. That's great news. However, one of the problems we wrestle with when it comes to sharing our faith is that you and I know that hell is going to be occupied. Somebody's going to be down up in there. And if we're honest, some of us might want to make some suggestions as to who those individuals should be. Because, but because our knowledge 
that not everyone is going to believe this good news, we can sometimes be reluctant or hesitant to share with anyone this good news, maybe out of fear of rejection. So you and I have got to resist the internal prophesying that goes on in our minds that constantly tells us that she won't respond. He doesn't want to hear this. They're too well off. They don't have a need. They don't see their need. They're too rich. They won't see this. They won't surrender to Christ. Whatever faults or success people have, we need to, we need to be the ones who are able to look directly past those faults and those successes and look squarely at their need. Just like someone did for you and for me. It is not our job to convince people to believe in Christ. Our job is just to tell them. It's not our job to win them. It's just to tell them. So please don't misuse the oft-quoted words of St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have y'all heard that before? Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Yes, I know we've got to live the gospel before people. But the living of the gospel before people is to give us the credibility to tell them about the gospel. So it is always necessary to use words. That's what we're called to do. In Luke 19, there's a parable that Jesus shares with the crowd. The parable of the minas. Now, I had always thought that this parable was kind of a referring to, you know, multiplying your talents, you know, and your gifts and uh, kind of a to whom much is given, much is required kind of a message. I no longer believe that. Because upon further examination, when I'm reading the scripture in context, I believe this parable is actually more about evangelism than it is about money, multiplying your gifts or your money or your talents. Look at that scripture with me. The first eight verses of Luke 19, the character there is Zacchaeus, the hated chief tax collector, right? The betrayer of his own people. Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus goes into his home and Zacchaeus is so touched by Jesus' life that Zacchaeus comes to faith in Christ, the hated chief tax collector. Zacchaeus repents of his sins and he promises that he will right all of the wrongs by paying back fourfold the money he had stolen from God's chosen people. And look at Jesus' proclamation in Luke 19, verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Did you see that? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this, this, this moment is mind-blowing to the Jews who were watching. I mean, they witnessed this hated government official 
they've witnessed him repenting and promising to, to right his wrongs. They were amazed by the power that Jesus had to change this man's life. And Jesus says, this is why I came. Now, look at the rest of this passage. Starting in verse 11, this is very important to catch. Verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So when you see the word because, clue in to that word because he's about to tell a parable because the people had supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, okay? Verse 12, he said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had done, what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. <laughs> I tell you that to, whom, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. A few questions here. Who does the nobleman represent in this story? You know, every Sunday school answer, the answer is always Jesus. All right, so Jesus. The servants in this story represent us, his followers. The citizens in this story represent those who will remain Christ's enemies until the end. What is the nobleman's business? What is the business that he told his servants to engage in? 
It's in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the business that he has asked these servants to engage in. See, Jesus told this parable in an environment where a notorious sinner has just met a savior. And we read, we read that Jesus knew that people were kind of getting ahead of themselves. And they were thinking that the time is now for the Jews to overthrow the Roman government, the authority that they held over them. And they were thinking, this is it. This is the Messiah. He's going to lead us out of this oppression. And Jesus knew that they were getting ahead of themselves. So he told this parable to explain to everyone what they needed to be doing with their time until he does return and becomes the conquering king that they knew him to be. This parable is about you and me. We're living this parable right now because Jesus is going to return one day very soon, hopefully. And you and I are going to give an account for how we were stewards over his business. The business of seeking and saving the lost. Now, we don't have to have large followings to be good stewards. We don't have to have thousands of people on Twitter following us or 10,000 Facebook friends. We don't have to have a loud voice or strong confidence. We don't need a marketing degree of any sort or, or a certification of sales All we need to do is have a willing heart and a little understanding of the product that we have been given to share. That product is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all we have to have. That's all we have to give. Here's what I've discovered when I found myself fearful of doing the master's business. Usually, 99% of the time, it was because of a distorted view of self. I was more concerned about me. I'm tired. What might they think about me? What if I mess up? What if they reject me? What if they reject the message? The culture might cancel me. What if they start to avoid me? Yeah, you know what? Every one of those things might happen. But you guys know it's not about me, right? It's not about you. It's about doing the king's business until he returns. It's okay to struggle and be nervous while you're learning how to share your faith. When I shared my faith with those guys on the basketball courts, I stumbled through the entire presentation. I mean, I looked at that booklet and I just stared and I read and I stuttered through it the whole time, reading it from cover to cover as quickly as I could. And you know what happened after I got done? I ended up on the local news. UCLA football player makes an idiot of himself trying to share the gospel and fails. Obviously, that didn't happen, right? Those guys just simply said, hey, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. And we parted ways. We don't have to have the answer to all the questions that people may have. Some people just need to know that God loves them 
and that Jesus paid the price for them to experience that love for all eternity. So instead of concerning ourselves with, concerning ourselves with the me factor, let's strive to be more like Paul who wrote in Acts 20, 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. This is our, um, this is our call, right, church? This is who we are called to be. This is how we are called to live and think and work the master's business. Consider my life of no account. It's about fulfilling the great commission. I want to end with this story. It's an old story, but one of my favorites. The story goes of a, um, an older couple who was vacationing on this beach home. And the night that they were sleeping, one of the nights, there was a huge, massive storm. They could hear the waves crashing and the wind howling all night long. The next morning, this old, older couple wakes up and they look out the door on, and along the beachside are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of starfish littered all over the beach. The waves had pushed them all up on the shore. They looked down a little ways and they saw a little boy taking a starfish and hurling it back in the ocean one at a time. Takes another one, hurls it back in the ocean. The elderly couple walks down to this little boy and they're like, son, I don't know what you're thinking, man. You are not going to be able to save all these starfish, you know. I mean, there's just too many of them. The boy just kind of looks at him and says, yep, I I know. As he reaches down, he takes another one, and he says, but I'm going to make a difference for this one. I'm that one. You're that one. Someone made a difference in your life and didn't deem the task too difficult. I know we live in a lost world full of lost people and the task is daunting, but you can make a difference for another one. Who will it be? My prayer this morning is that we are motivated more by the fear and the love of the Lord, motivated by the love of Christ and motivated to fulfill the great commission as we exercise unshakable faith unshakable faith in doing so. Let God use you. Think of one person, one couple, young, old, that you can begin to pray for and nurture a friendship with, a relationship with, for the purpose of sharing this good news with them. They desperately need it. Father, thank you that You are not frantic at all. (laughs) But Lord, your work is relentless when it comes to seeking and saving the lost. 
And you have called us to be servants, to join you in that call, in that task of bringing young men and women, old as well, boys and girls, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will give us all opportunities, but also, Lord, that we would be so attuned to your spirit that we would see them and not wait for them to magically appear, but we would be intentional about going after opportunities to share the good news, the hope we have in you. Jesus, teach us to love you so much that we don't, go a, we don't let a day go by without praying for someone or looking for an opportunity to share the truth. We need to be set free, God. All over this world, men and women need the truth to set us free. We love you, Lord. Teach us to love you more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.